right. This is the Mainly Plants Podcast. My name is Ryan Furman, and I am a certified plant-based nutritionist and personal trainer. The website is mainlyplants.com. Uh, you can get a hold of me there through uh, you know the contact page, or you can email me, ryan at mainlyplants.com, or you can hit me up on social media at mainlyplants. Um, so I'm recording on a new device today. I really hope it sounds okay, uh, if not better. Um, my old computer that I was I had set up uh, just to record. I have a laptop also, but I usually just use that for everything but recording because everything's already set up on my old computer. Um, but it is just dying and dying and dying. So I got everything set up on the new one, and hopefully it sounds good, if not better than the old one. Um, so with that, uh, what's the first thing on my mind I wanted to talk to you or mention real quick was I was listening to uh, an idiot speak. And I'm sure you guys know who I'm talking about. His last name starts with a V and ends, or his last name starts with a T and ends with Orderich. And he was talking about eggs and how eggs are the perfect protein source. How everybody should be eating eggs because they're so healthy for you and they're so good for you. Um, well, that's obviously not true. I've talked about eggs a lot, so I don't want to re- rehash it. But he did make one point that. I thought I'd bring up. And he says that eggs contain every amino acid that humans need. And this is true. Eggs do contain every amino acid that humans need uh, with the sacrifice of health. But you know what else contains every amino acid that humans need without the sacrifice of health, uh, actually arguably promotes good health, is soy, tofu, things like that. Uh, um, what's it called? Uh, tempeh, which is fermented soybeans. So soy and soy products. Now, if you're going to be eating soy, obviously I recommend uh, non-GMO organic is the best. If you can find sprouted tofu, it's the best. But soy edamame contains all the essential or all the amino acids, including the essential amino acids that humans need uh, to stay healthy. And you're not getting things like cholesterol with it. You're not getting things like cancer promotion. No, you're not going to have breasts if you're a man if you eat soy. It's, these are all, uh, those are just um, wives' tales, okay? So you don't need to worry about that. I have soy plenty. I don't have boobs. Um, and my estrogen levels are not any more than they would be otherwise, okay? So uh, it's perfectly healthy, perfectly safe. Don't be eating eggs. Eggs are bad for you. Eggs are the perfect protein for chicken fetuses. Okay, the reason that eggs are eggs is because they provide nutrients to a growing bird, not a growing human or a human that has stopped growing. It doesn't make any sense if you think about it. Why are we Why are we eating this shit? Why are we putting this into our bodies? This is something that is that is that nature has developed over millions of years to provide a chicken fetus with nutrients to grow and then essentially or eventually hatch out of that shell. We are not chickens. We are not birds. Why are we doing this to ourselves? Why are we introducing these foreign things that are intended for another animal into our own bodies? Um, it's awful for you. Not to mention that if you think about it, eggs are just uh, the unfertilized egg of a chicken. So eggs are just chicken periods. And they come out of what's called a cloaca. That's the hole in a female chicken. 
I guess, I think, are all chickens females? Hens are females. Roosters are males. They're all chickens, I think. That's how it goes. If I remember my Seinfeld quotes uh, accurately, that's how it is. But a cloaca is one hole, and a cloaca is one hole for pee, poo, and their reproductive system. So we're getting all that good stuff lumped into one. So what they poop out of and what they pee out of, uh, they also produce push the eggs out of, and that's what you're eating. So enjoy that little tidbit. Um, another little thing that I saw that I thought uh, you guys might find uh, interesting, uh, maybe even a little bit gross, was, let me fucking find it real quick, uh, is a little tidbit of information. And this one's about cheese. This fun fact says, cheese gets its smell from the same bacteria found in unwashed feet and body odor. Uh, it's called Brevibacteria and Staphylococcus epidermitis. On top of that, the cheese-making process produces but butyric acid, the same compound produced by your stomach acid during digestion, which gives human vomit its distinct smell. So when you're eating cheese, you're eating all that good stuff. Feet bacteria, body odor bacteria, and puke stomach acid smell acid disgustingness. Um, okay, so <laughs> I thought I'd share those with you. Let me know if you guys like them. Uh, and this week we're going to be talking about food labels. So I've, I've touched on it briefly, uh, give you guys a little information about it. Today I want to start going into it uh, more in depth. Hopefully we get through all of it. If not, then I'll continue with the second part of it next week. I do want to make note that I believe it's starting next March 2018, food labels are going to have, are going to, they're changing, right? So they're going to have different stuff on them. But this will not affect that. This is just how to read that stuff that's on the food label. Okay, so if you have any questions, as always, please just get a hold of me. But um, let's begin, okay? Today, in the current time, we have more food companies than ever before. That's just uh, that's just given, right? Now, back in the 70s, we didn't have all these food companies. I wasn't alive yet, but so I hear. Now, there are dozens and hundreds of them and every week they come out with hundreds and hundreds of new products and new quote-unquote health products just lining the shelves of supermarkets and grocery stores now that's something that wasn't around 30 years ago not to the same extent now during the time that this has happened um, you can you can just get an idea of what's happened to the health of Americans. Now, if you look at overweight American adults during the same period, it's up 40%. Okay, so between 70s and today. Now, obesity has doubled in adults. In children, overweight in the age group of 6 to 12, or 6 to 11 years old, has quadrupled. In the age group 12 to 19, it's tripled during the same time period. So, the question is, if health foods have become so popular, then what the fuck's going on? If health foods are increasing at a rapid rate, why is obesity increasing at a rapid rate? Now, it's called, it's something that's called the myth of health foods. Most Americans say and claim that they read food labels, um, but they really don't understand what they're buying. And if you were to ask some questions about it, they don't truly know what it says, okay? 
Now you see things that say stuff like um, baked with you know organic so and so, organic wheat flour, or that it's quote unquote all natural and it's got no hydrogenated oils and no artificial flavors. Um, now, if you saw something that said no hydrogenated oil, no artificial flavors, baked crackers um, made with organic ingredients, and it was all natural and all pure, I mean, to the layperson, you would probably think that's healthy, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you what is wrong with that because that would defeat the whole purpose of this podcast of what's going on today. Right? We want you to figure it out for yourself, given these tools. Um, so what I'm going to do is teach you a very simple system for how to tell the difference between a health food and what's really healthy for you. Okay, there's a difference there. Now it's a very simple technique, and it takes less than 10 seconds. And there are only three steps to it, and um, it's tried and true. So what is going to happen is I'm going to I'm going to teach you that, and then we'll practice it, and then we will um, talk about it. Now, what I'm gonna do is set some guidelines, and we're gonna gonna set them in, uh, for four things. Four things that we overconsume in the United States. Now, the first one is fat, the second one is sodium, the third one is white sugars and refined sugars, and the fourth one is refined carbohydrates. So I'm gonna set up guidelines for each of these, and, and then we'll evaluate uh, products. Um, however, before I get into those guidelines, I wanna give you two rules for label reading. Now these are the most important rules because if you don't understand them, none of the guidelines will ever work. So this is truly, truly important, okay? So rule one is never, ever, ever, ever believe anything on the front of a product ever, never. Rule number two is always read the nutrition facts label and the ingredient list. That's it, okay? Now let's go through the guidelines and as we go through them, um, I might be talking a little bit fast because I don't want to get into um, super, super detail on all these topics. I just want to give you guys guidelines and and kind of explain to you the guidelines and maybe practice them a little bit so you guys can understand, okay? So how much fat does the human body need? Well, it really only needs a very small amount and it's about three to 5% of its total calories should come from fat. Now the, these are essential fats. But that's not really the problem. The problem in America is we get about 35% of our calories from fat. And out of that 35%, many of us don't get enough of the essential fat. Now there are a ton and ton of debates about how much fat you need to eat and you hear all kinds of numbers. Now I like to break them up in what I call two camps. One is the low fat camp and you hear numbers like 10 to 15%. Now that's where they stick us. Uh, some of you guys listening, I'm sure, have heard of uh, Dean Ornish and Dr. Um, John McDougall. Now, those are the people in the low fat camp. Then you have the high, uh, higher fat camp, where you hear numbers like 30% or 35%. That's that's where you've got the government, the USDA, the National Heart and Lung and Blood Institute, the American Dietetic um, Dietetic Association and the AHA, the American Heart Association. Now they recommend about 30 to 35%. So what's a healthy guideline? Um, I, I really don't wanna get into debates. I'm just going to kind of split right down the middle. 
Okay, now I believe that 20% of packaged products, 20% of fat for packaged products. Now, if you personally want to set the bar a little lower or a little higher, that's fine, but that's where I set it for packaged products, okay? So let's think about that real quick. Uh, if I pick up a product and I read the food label and it says 100 calories, I'm allowing 20% of the calories to come from fat. So if you think about it, that's 20 calories. Now, if it had 200 calories, it would be 40 calories from fat. So you really need to look at that. You can't just look at calories and you can't just look at fat. You have to look at uh, calories from fat so you can know what percentage of calories comes from fat. Now, are there good fats and bad fats? Of course there are. Uh, so you also want to check the ingredient list and make sure that there are no bad fats. And you can listen back to uh, my podcast on fats uh, for more explanation you know, along with this. But bad fats fall under three categories. One is saturated animal fat, and you'll see things like lard, butter, chicken, um, chicken fat, dairy, or cheese. Um, and then there is saturated vegetable fat, which is tropical oils like coconut oil, um, cocoa butter, palm oil, palm kernel oil. Now let me make a little caveat here. Coconut oil, I don't mind a little bit of it when you're cooking. I use it primarily for oil pulling in my teeth, which you don't swallow. And I use a little bit when I make golden paste with turmeric. But aside from that, I really don't use coconut oil. Um, there's also man-made saturated vegetable fat, which you'll see listed in the ingredients as what's called partially hydrogenated vegetable oil or margarine or shortening. Now, wouldn't you agree that if something was low fat, but this stuff was in the ingredients, it wouldn't be healthy, right? So that's kind of what we're talking about. We're talking about fat. When we see a package, we're going to check the calories from fat against the total calories. And you have to read the ingredients for any bad fats. That's really pretty much it for fat. Then you have sodium. So how much sodium does the human body need? The National Academy of Sciences says you can get by in good health if you're already healthy with as little as 250 milligrams. The human body really does not require a lot of sodium, so you don't really have to worry about it. And the reason is that if all you ate was fresh fruit, fresh fruit and vegetables and you got in enough calories, you're going to get about 500 milligrams. So it's almost impossible for you to not get enough sodium. But that's not really the problem here. The average intake in the U.S. is, get ready for this, between three and 5,000 milligrams. Now, there is really only one recommended range these days, and it was put in, put out about 20 years ago, excuse me, by the Institute of Medicine, which is a branch of the NAS, the National Academy of Sciences. And they said that healthy adults should limit their sodium to no more than 12 to 1,500 milligrams. And they set for the first time ever an upper limit for sodium at 2,300 milligrams. Now, what that means is that if you consume more than 2,300 milligrams of salt, sodium a day on a regular basis, they think it's harmful. Ooh, excuse me. <laughs> they think it's harmful. Um, they also acknowledge that 90% of Americans take in a harmful level of sodium every day. 90%. Okay? I sound like the principal off of Ferris Bueller. Nine times, 90%. Now that's a pretty big range. So let me kind of explain to you how they did it. They did it by age. And they said that up to the age 50, 
you should limit your sodium to no more than 1500 milligrams. And they said, once you get over 50, you should limit it to 1300 milligrams. And they said, once you get over 70, you should limit it to 1200 milligrams. And they said, once you get over 90, you can pretty much do whatever you want because you're 90 years old. Now, all the government organizations have actually gotten in line with the Institute of Medicine, but I want to explain to you a little of how they spin things. Now, because this is the part of how we all get so confused and why people don't understand what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. Now, I just explained to you the numbers. It's the bare minimum, the recommended ranges, and the upper limit. So sodium is getting a lot of attention these days, and it was in the New York Times not too long ago, and there was an article that said human beings need 2,300 milligrams of sodium, and that's just a lie. They don't need that. That's the upper limit, and it's the upper limit imposed by the national organization. Now, put that in perspective, one teaspoon of salt is 2,200 milligrams. If that seems restrictive, remember that these are national guidelines. Now, maybe this has happened to many of you. You go to your doctor's office, and he checks your blood pressure. And for the first time ever, he says something like, you have high blood pressure. Your blood pressure is, you know, elevated, or whatever he says that indicates that you have high blood pressure. He doesn't want you to use medication yet because medications have side effects, and I don't blame him. I don't want you to use medications also if you can help it. So you guys agree to try a different diet. So he tells you to go home and get on what's called a low-sodium diet. I'm sure you guys have heard of this. And he will probably even give you a pamphlet because that's what doctors like to do. And you go home, and you make the same two announcements that most people make in their home. You throw away the salt shakers and you say, don't add salt to anything that I'm eating, to your significant other. Or if you're living alone, you say to yourself, I'm not going to eat any more salt. I'm not going to add salt to anything. And you do it for about three months and you go back to your doctor and he checks your blood pressure and you see what's happened. And either nothing's happened or it's gone up even higher. And he tells you the same thing that they tell 90% of Americans, which is you're not salt sensitive, dieting will never help. And you're going to have to go on medication probably for the rest of your life. But then you'll get these same people and they'll wander into one of a million centers and they'll come in on Saturday and by Monday their blood pressure has dropped so much that they're practically passing out while walking around and it happens all the time. So how come it happens in 48 hours at a center which is great, you know, a nutrition center, but people out in the real world, you know, everyday people can't do it in three months. Now, the reason is, is because only about 10% of the salt in the American diet comes from the salt shaker and what you add while you're cooking. So if you're at the upper range of about 5,000 milligrams and you cut out 10%, what are you at? You're still around 4,500 milligrams, which is about double the upper limit. If you're at 3,000 milligrams, which is the lower range and you cut 10%, it leaves you about 2,700 milligrams, which is still over the upper limit. And that's why most people don't succeed. It's because they really don't understand this problem, which is where the bulk of your sodium comes from. And we're going to talk about processed foods because that's where most of it does come from. It's hidden in your food supply. Now, there's something that's called salt density. And there are salt intake numbers from the national government over the 30 years, over the past 30 years, on how much sodium we're, we've been taking in. And it goes back from all the way to 1970 to the early 2000s. 
and the numbers are for men and women. And the averages are upwards of two to 3,000 milligrams per day. That's a little lower than what I said earlier because they get these numbers by asking people and people underestimate. And it's because it doesn't count in that 10% that we talked about. Now, getting back to salt density, is how much sodium you're taking in compared to your calories. So if you if you took in 2,000 milligrams of sodium and you took in 2,000 calories, your salt ratio is one to one. Your salt density is one. Hope that makes sense. There's a little bit of math here. Now you don't ever want to go over 2,300. Now ideally, it'd be below 1,500, but you know, we don't ever really want to go over that. Now, there's a ratio that we talked about, the salt density ratio. And you want that ratio to be one to one, ideally, okay? Like we talked about before. So we can also look at it in a different way. The average American probably needs around 2,300 calories at most to be healthy. And coincidentally, again, that's the upper limit for sodium. So if I pick up a product and it has 100 calories in it, what would be the most sodium? It'd be 100. What if this had 320 calories? What would be the most sodium? 320. That's a ratio of 1 to 1. It's pretty simple, right? Now, we're going to see a lot, a lot of different types of products in the grocery stores, right? I'm going to give you an example. There's something called Near East 100% Natural Couscous Mix. Cooks in five minutes. I'm, all, I'm sure you guys have seen this in the grocery stores or in the health food stores. It's all over the place. Now, if you look at a package of it, it says that it won the quote-unquote Smart Choices Made Easy Award. And I'm not really sure what that means or who gives that out, um, but they apparently won it. Um, there's another thing on the package that says it, it looks pretty much identical, except for the fact that it's called tomato lentil. Now, what does rule one that we talked about earlier tell you about these two products? Don't believe anything on the front. So I don't give a shit that they won a medal because I don't know what it means. It means nothing to me. Turn the product around, look at the ingredients and the nutrition facts list. Okay, so I'm going to teach you how to read a label. But before that, there is the calories per serving. Okay, now everybody has seen this before. So on this particular product, it says 220. So what would be the most sodium we would want to see on this product? It would be 220, right? That one-to-one -one ratio again. And if we look at it, if I look at it, because it's in front of me, what do we see? It says five milligrams. So how's that for sodium, right? It's pretty, pretty good, if not great. Five milligrams when the most would be 220. Now, you have to keep in mind that that's per serving. Most people, myself included, do not eat one serving. So you have to keep that in mind because your salt intake is going to go up. And let's say you have something that, that has way more than that one-to-one -one ratio, right? Say it had say it had double, say it had 440 milligrams and you had two or three servings. So what does that do for your sodium intake for the day? It, it exceeds it. it. It blows it out of the water, okay? So now, this, these are health foods, and they're sold and marketed as health foods. 
So again, that couscous is good, but that's rare. So you need to look at everything when you're picking it up. Has anybody ever seen like the amount of sodium in, in soups? Soups are astronomical. They go, I mean, I was looking at soups uh, last week, week before, and it was like 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams per serving. And there's usually, you know, two, yeah, about two servings in the, the, the good-sized cans of soup. That's, that's two to 4,000 milligrams of salt off of one meal, and that's soup. It's not really going to fill you up. Okay, so that's sodium. So the guideline's super simple, just to review. Sodium should be no more than the calories, that one-to-one -one ratio. And then also, you need to remember your fat. The calories from fat should be no more than 20%. And no bad fats, okay? Now, we're kind of running out of time here today, so we're going to save the rest for next week. Next week, we're going to be talking about um, sugar, carbohydrates, and uh, some more evaluation. So be sure to check back next week. Practice what you've learned this week about fat and sodium, and try to try to introduce those those that, that knowledge into your choices that you're making when you go to the grocery store. Any questions, comments, concerns, it's ryan at mainlyplants.com or you can get a hold of me through DM through social media at mainlyplants. Oh, if you're going to be doing your Amazon shopping, mainlyplants.com slash Amazon. Oh, real quick. So I bought a an air fryer. And what it is, it's kind of like a, a mini convection oven, for lack of a better term. But you, I, it, it makes stuff crispy without having to use oil. So I, I've been doing like uh, tofu bites in there. And they're like these crispy little tofu nuggets. I've been really into sweet potato fries because all it does is like I don't know how, I don't even know how it works. I'm not gonna pretend I'm a moron when it comes to that, but it, it's making me it's making crispy on the outside, tender in the middle, sweet potato fries with no added salt, no oil. So I'm getting like a, a healthy dose of sweet potato in a fun way. I dipped a little Dijon mustard. Ugh out of sight. The other thing I wanted to share with you, cashew cheese. I've been really into this. It's super easy. There's no oil and it can double as a salad dressing. I'll explain how. So to make cashew cheese, you want for a serving or for one batch, it's about a heaping cup of cashews soaked in water overnight. Toss that into a really good blender or Vitamix. I recommend a blender for this one. Unless you're doing the salad dressing, I would do a Vitamix. Um, and then you do the juice of one lemon. You do about a quarter cup of nutritional yeast, salt, pepper, garlic powder to taste. Toss it in the blender and crank that bitch on high uh, for about, uh, I don't know, 10 seconds. And then add a little bit of water to it. And then keep doing that till you get the consistency that you want. It should be kind of like um, a hummus should be the max runniness of the cheese. I like it I like my cheese a little more firm, more of like a, a thicker spread. So I do a little less water, but it's personal preference. And then you just salt, pepper, garlic powder to taste and toss it in the fridge and it's super, super good. You can do the same thing for salad dressing, just add more water to thin it out. And I like adding some dill to mine uh, for the salad dressing. And then you just do it to taste and the consistency that you want for a salad dressing. And it's like a cashew cream salad dressing. It's super good, super easy. Takes maybe like five minutes to do once you've soaked your raw cashews. Again, questions, comments, concerns. Ryan Furman at mainly, Ryan Furman, Ryan at mainlyplants.com. And until next week, 
go eat a salad. <laughs>